Welcome to The Working Therapist with Hayden Bolick, a podcast designed to help you grow more, do more, and be more as a therapist. The Working Therapist is an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. We're glad you've joined us for today's podcast. So here's your host, Hayden Bolick. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of The Working Therapist. I'm Hayden Bolick along with Kirsty Miles. And today we are talking about working with an orthotist. And Kirsty is going to help guide us through the PT's role and how to do it, what to do, right? Yeah, yeah. Really, it's a motor therapist role. So it could be OT or PT that would work with an orthotist. And that's dependent upon need. And we'll get to kind of what an orthotist can provide. So Kirsty, tell us what an orthotist is. And then why do you need an orthotist? What do they bring to the table? So typically out of one office is an orthotist and a prosthetist. So orthotics and prosthetics. Uh. Typically in the pediatric population, we're working with somebody who specializes in orthotics. Prosthetics are usually for limb loss. And we have had a few in the past on the caseload that have been below knee amputations for one reason or another, and they've worn a prosthetic. So we work with certified (laughs) orthotists who have their durable medical equipment license that can prescribe stuff. Durable medical equipment, of course, is anything specific to a patient. So it's not something that just is bought typically over the counter. It's for specific to your patient. And so, and it's not transferable. So once a patient wears it, it's theirs and it can't be just used by another person. Which I think is probably a good thing. Oh yeah. (laughs) Right. You really wouldn't want to be sharing limbs. Would you? I mean, like legit, would you, I mean, they don't, that's not something that transfers one person to another, is it? You would not believe how many people try to turn in old SMOs or old AFOs. And I'm like, but that was molded to a patient. And therapists all the time take them like they're going to use them. It's garbage. Yeah, no. Mm -mm. I only have one. Well, that's not true. We've seen several children through the years with prosthetic, you know, kind of thing. But But that, again, that's casted for and molded Mm -hmm. specifically Mm -hmm. to that patient. We work with different orthotists. We have ones that we work with over in the Fayetteville area, ones that we work with over in the Southern Pines area, just dependent upon location. But I think it's really important to talk about the relationship with different vendors. And I think that's huge and key, Kirstie, because if you don't have a relationship with vendors, this is some pretty serious stuff you're doing to help get the right thing for their patient, right? For your patient. So you need to have a relationship and the working expectations, I think, should be very clear. Like, this is what I do. This is what you do, right? Right. Yeah, I'm down with that. So if we just for a second, just talk about what an orthotist typically provides. What do we go to an orthotist for? Typically, an OT is going to go for an elbow extension splint because they're looking to elongate the bicep because they have contracture. They're going for wrist splints, for resting wrist splints, for dynamic hand splints. So when you're talking about what does OT typically use them for, that would be the primary things that you're going after as an occupational therapist. doesn't mean a PT doesn't also go after those things. It just depends on if right now the child's only getting PT and the child needs a wrist splint, well, the PT's got to be prepared to get that for the child then. So, you know what? I never told you this, but I made a splint once. Or have I ever told you this? No. Yes, I made a splint in graduate school because there were, no, not in graduate school. This is undergraduate school. I thought I wanted to be an OT, I'm, by the way. If I did know that. Yes, if you're listening for the first time, I'm a speech therapist. But there was a time in college when I thought I wanted to be an OT. So I worked it out with my college professor person, and I would go to this hospital two afternoons a week, and I would basically shadow an OT. Bless this poor man's heart. But anyway, I shadowed this OT. So we were one day working in the spinal cord unit, and there was a guy in the bed. He needed to call the nurse. 
And so the man that I was working with, who's the occupational therapist, said, well, how are we going to do this? Looking at me. And I said, well, this is a problem. We're going to need to try to solve this, right? And this is our job. And he goes, yes, it is. So how do you want to solve it? So he left it up to me. And so I was like, well, huh, that's a problem. So he had been doing some splints down in the OT gym and he had the splinting materials. And so at that time, I don't know, nursing, the way you call the nurse now has gotten a lot more sophisticated because this was a long time ago. But at the time, it was like the squeeze button thing. So all you had to do is squeeze this like, it kind of looked like the top of blood pressure cuff, you know, the little thing that you squeeze. And so it looked like that. So you would just squeeze it, but you had to squeeze it with a certain amount of strength. It wasn't like a button you pushed, you had to squeeze this thing and then they called the nurse. So anyway, so I took this splitting material, this was long rectangle splitting material, and I folded it in half and made it to put the little squeezy thingy in between this big rectangle thing that I had folded over and made it and so that all he had to do was push down with his shoulder and it would call the nurse. Does that count as a splint, you think? Probably not. (laughs) 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 I had kind of forgotten about it till now, but I, well, it was, it used splinting materials. (laughs) There you go. There you go. There, that was the beginning and ending of my splinting career. Well, is that where you decided, you know what, OT is not for me? (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I like that day. So that was it. That was the beginning and end. That would probably be something along the lines of adaptive (laughs) equipment, but not a splint. (laughs) (laughs) Splinting materials. All right. But go ahead. Yes. Okay. (laughs) For physical therapy, a lot of times we use an orthotist. We carry an amazing line in clinic, little steps and quadriceps. And there's reasons we brought those into our facility. But for anything above the ankle, we use an orthotist. And so by above the ankle, I mean an SMO, an AFO, an HCAFO. We use orthotists for even something like a helmet. We can actually use a vendor too that we do like a skate trainers and wheelchairs for a helmet as well. TLSOs can all go through an orthotist. So it's largely dependent on what you're needing for a child. Do you have like a test in PT school, Kiersey, where like SMO, AFO, what is it? I know I had an orthotics class and a prosthetics class. I loved it. What's the difference in an SMO? What does it stand for? And an AFO? SMO is supramalleolar orthotic, meaning it comes above the malleoli. AFO is an ankle foot orthoses. Mm. Yes, you are tested on all of this. I bet you are. So those are some of the things that you can get from an orthotist. And then if you need something and you don't know whether they provide it or not, call them. Ask. Mm. I think it's really important, too, to say just like all providers in the medical profession, we're all under that umbrella of working with different insurance companies. And we're all having to kind of change how we operate based on what insurance requires of us. So do orthotists, because ultimately at the end of the day, they're billing an entity to get reimbursed. So they have to answer to people above them as well if they want to be reimbursed. So when other offices are requiring you to kind of change your way of working, it's because they're getting it from above them so that they can get reimbursed. So something new has happened this year with the orthotists. Hmm. They have different requirements in what they need from a medical doctor, which has made us change the way we're working as a therapist. So -hmm. I think that that's something that's really important to note that a lot of times you just need to ask. You need to ask what their process is in their office. I like to work with people that have a process that is not just a free-for-all all all over the place of how you're going to do this and operate. I like that there's a process in place with expectations because then you know they're an organized facility to work with. 
Amen. No truer words were ever spoken. I mean, preach it. But I think it's like kind of what you're saying is also sort of reset expectations. So as the PT, this is your patient, right? This is what NOT, this is your patient. And so if all of a sudden the orthotist is coming in, because they deal with so many different OTs and PTs and so many practices that if all of a sudden you're noticing a change or a switch in kind of what they're telling the patient or telling you or something like that, then you may want to do like a reset of expectations. Like, hey, has something changed for you? Is there, is there a new requirement? Because I could see how they might would skip that and just maybe, quote unquote, forget to tell you, not hide mm-hmm. something from you, but just not thinking about it, you know? When you don't get everything in an organized fashion, so just for instance, in North Carolina, to get reimbursed by insurance, they not only need a doctor's order, but they also need the notes from the doctor on the date of the visit, which means that that patient went to the doctor for this purpose of what is being requested. Goodness. So knowing that piece of information as a physical therapist and as a provider, I can change my way of working to, number one, get buy-in from the parent. Number two, have accountability with the parent because it's not going to be me that goes to the doctor or takes that child to the doctor. So it allows me to kind of change and rework the process so that we can get what we need in a timely fashion, ultimately at the end of the day for that patient. So here at PDT, because we have done the legwork, we have contacted the orthotist, I've gotten the information I needed to make the process smooth to get buy-in from the parent and accountability from the parent. And we've got a beautiful thing in place with a local orthotic company and it's working beautifully. And so I encourage you to examine your process and because you can get stuff timely. That's one of the things I look for when working with any provider is how they work as a team. And when you can really get it to click like that, it's a beautiful thing. Then that goes to you have all that pre-work done and I like to give families a choice in who they want to use as a provider. I tell them who we use and I give them pros and cons and it might be travel time or if there's an issue with the product, you're going to have to drive all the way over here to get it resolved or we're going to schedule it at your next appointment and it's going to take two weeks to get them in here. So I think it's good to kind of put that out for a patient up front and let them make a choice. So again, they have some autonomy in their decision so that if they're not happy with a provider, they don't hang it back on you to be like, oh, well, you sent me here. No, you picked, remember? (laughs) And I think it's important for the choice thing. And then it also keeps the patient as an active participant, right? It does. It does. And it allows the parent to make decisions because at the end of the day, it's their child. Right, right, exactly. So all of that is also very important to me when I'm working with different vendors. And then that goes to your role. So if we go back to your role as a therapist is to educate, you're providing education right there before you even get to a product. At the end of the day, your role as a PT or an OT is to educate the family to, and this regardless of the equipment, whether it's a wheelchair, a walker, we're talking specifically about orthotics. We do pros and cons. I pull pictures Mm -hmm. up online before the orthotist ever even gets there. So we can have discussions and do some pre-work and see what the family wants to go with. And I can explain why we need this versus this. We have children that are older and they really need to be in an AFO, but she's 13. And when you start talking to her about it, you can see her eyes just welling up with tears. And this child has to go Mm -hmm. to school and she does not want to be singled out. So I'm like, oh, she's not going to wear them. Honey, are you going to wear these if we get them? And she's like, no. 
No, I don't want to be different. And then you have to work as a therapist to kind of compromise and then go out and talk to the parents and say, you know, we've talked about it. She really doesn't want to wear these, but she said she'd be open to trying these. Are you willing to try this and kind of work with us on this? So I think it takes it to a whole nother level and really getting to know your patient. Well, and I think the message I'm hearing, Kirstie, is it's not about us it's about your it's patient. Not. And if you go in there and say, you got to have this and you're going to do this and come hell or high water is going to happen, that's just not what it's about. And it's that's kind of dis- You're going to lose every time. And every Hayden, time. if there's one thing about me, you know I'm competitive. I want to win at the end of the day. It's not by myself. I want to win for them. Exactly. And her wearing something that you've kind of agreed upon is the PT. So it's going to help her. So you gave her a choice and whatever the choice was, it sounds like you had a preference and then a second choice and she wants to go with the second choice, but at least you're still winning, meaning you're still getting some therapeutic benefit from whatever she's going to agree to wear. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Versus nothing. Exactly. Exactly. So at the end of the day, you've kind of done all of that legwork. You've made the decision about what this patient needs with obviously their input because at the end of the day, it's theirs. Right. So now your role as a therapist was educating and determining what that patient's need is with all of that input. Your next role is to write a letter of medical necessity because you cannot prescribe for that patient what they need. A doctor must. And I'm not saying a doctor of physical therapy. I'm saying a medical doctor has to write the script. So now your role as a therapist is to communicate why to that medical provider. I always get very leery if an orthotist is pulling out your role to write that letter of medical necessity for that child mm-hmm. because that's your communication with a medical professional, what that child needs and what needs to go on that script. Say that last part again. You get leery when... If an orthotist says, mm-hmm. oh, no, no, we don't need you to write a letter of medical necessity. We'll contact the doctor. We'll get the script. Don't worry about it. I get all kinds of red flags. I'm like, wait, what are they going to write on that script? But my rationale and reasoning is not on that letter. I'm not communicating with the doctor. That's my role as a professional. Because you're the one who taught the patient about getting the orthotic because you're the PT. Mm -hmm. So you decided, yes, this child does need it. And here's the therapeutic reasoning why and wherefore. And so you're called the orthotist in to get this because Mm -hmm. you need him to or her to get this orthotic that you want. And so then if you're cut out of it, then you can't give them the rational reason for why you have this. So you really should be. And it is another piece of paper, but it doesn't take forever to do it. And it's a little more work, Mm -hmm. but they don't. They do not take a significant amount of time. Right. And so you want to be with an organization that can really teach you how to turn those around and do that quickly because that's your role. I 100% agree. I think it is your role as a PT. Otherwise, if it's out of your hands and you're kind of giving your, and I'm going to say control, I don't mean it like as control, like you're being a control freak, but you're basically giving your therapeutic rationale and reason to somebody else to do it and it's really not their role is you're losing your sort of stake in the whole thing it's kind of out of your hands and really it's to the patient's therapeutic benefit to get it but it's according to your plan right it is Yes. Preach it. I got it. See, I've been listening and paying attention the whole time up in here. There are a couple of important factors when writing an LMN because, and basically I put them into two categories. If I determine generally what that child needs, but I want to collaborate with the orthotist to Mm -hmm. see 
because they're the ones that know what they can and can't do and can't produce and can't create and, and that sort of thing. So if I want to have options by the time the orthotist gets there, I might write a broad letter of medical necessity for a general prescription. So it might say on there, AFO. It doesn't say articulating AFO. It doesn't say solid AFO. It doesn't get specific to a brand and I leave it real broad. Then the orthotist can use that to go with whatever we decide in that evaluation time Mm -hmm. with the orthotist and the child. If I write my letter of medical necessity, very specific to say, I want a cascade DAFO number, blah, 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 with this, I'm very specific to know what I want that brace to look like. That means that they have to provide exactly what's on that script. They cannot veer off of it. I've locked myself into just that one. That's, yeah. And I think there are times and places where I do that. Well, yeah. Why would you do that more specific? Cascade makes a great product. They've got a 90-day warranty on the product. If you use one and don't get 100% right for that child, you can go back within that warranty and not just change the brace or recast for the brace. You can actually get a whole different brace. There's a phenomenal warranty on that product. And the company is really, really good about that. I could go with a Cascade DAFO product and have that warranty and all of that that goes with it, or the orthotist can make and fabricate them themselves. The warranty is not the same. You're working with the orthotist's warranty. And I don't know if I haven't worked with them before, maybe what their capabilities are or how they make their braces or if it's going to be a good fit. If I've got a child with some foot deformity, sometimes getting the brace to fit really well is challenging. And Cascade just does a really, really good job with their products. The plastic is very thin. They're fabricated really well. I'm not trying to push Cascade, but it's just sometimes when a vendor makes them, if the plastic's really thick, it becomes really clunky in the shoe. So I have reasons. I have reasons. (laughs) Sometimes if there is a product that I know, and this typically works with night splints, if we're getting a cast of a child's foot for a night splint and they're really tiny and I get a Cascade product that I know has been molded specifically for their foot, I'm going to get a much better possibility of getting the stretch that I want versus using a more over-the-counter product that is billed under the same code through an orthotist, but it's a lot cheaper. And so the orthotist gets a lot more money off of that product but it might not be what's best for my patient. So when I write a letter of medical necessity, I'm going to get nitty gritty and specify which one I want because I know that my patient's going to do better with one than the other. But I think you only learn about that, number one, unless you listen to this podcast and I'm telling you about it or you've picked up on it through experience. That makes sense. I think experience does get you there. That's working on a letter of medical necessity being very broad versus being very specific. So I think that there's times for both of those. And there's times where I've worked with an orthotist to say, okay, I'm willing to try that one, but if it doesn't work, I'm calling you back and I'm going to get the one I wanted originally. So if we're in agreement with that, then I'll try your one because I understand what you're trying to do and I appreciate that. However, at the end of the day, I have to look out for my patient. Well, you gave them fair warning. And I do. There you go. I mean, I think, hey, you gave them a warning shot. You know what? They know what they're getting into. Exactly. You didn't hide it. You compromised. (laughs) 
So I think those are some really key features when you're working with an orthotist. And I think that relationship is really, really important. And I think following through with the process and having a process in place is really important too, because at the end of the day, everybody's a professional and we should follow those guidelines. So Kirsty, thank you for breaking that down for us so that we understand. I think I had a lot of takeaways, but one of the main ones was understanding the therapist's role in this situation, physical and occupational therapy specifically, versus the orthotist's role. So I think understanding that role, how the two work together, but then also how they're each responsible for their own thing. That was great. I really appreciate it. That was fantastic. Kirsty mentioned a Cascade product when she was talking. So we'll have that link on the website of The Working Therapist. And there are other podcasts there as well, all the ones that we've done are there and at theworkingtherapist.com, also on iTunes and Stitcher. So you can check out lots of various topics. Thanks so much today, Kirstie. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. We'll catch you next time on another episode of The Working Therapist. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Working Therapist, an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. If you would like more information regarding this podcast or would like to get in touch with us for any reason, visit us on the web at www.pediatricdt.com. That's pediatricdt.com.